Well, good morning, Oakwood. So glad that you're here with us this morning, uh, tuning in online and, and all across the, uh, the uh, fruited plain, I guess you would say. Uh, got some, had some cold weather in the last week, but some beautiful weather today and coming up and uh, maybe a little bit of rain, but that's all right. But hey, we are excited that you're here uh, with us this morning, uh, tuning in online and just uh, trust the Lord has something really special for us today as we begin a new series today called Soul activity, soul activity. Now let me explain a little bit of, uh, of a background, maybe a little bit of premise to what we're doing with this, uh, this series as we begin it together. You know, this is an unprecedented time where for some of you, uh, maybe you're still going to work, maybe you've been deemed essential and you're still going to work, but for many of you, you have a few more hours in your week than you've had before. And what I'd really like to, uh, for us to think about and really to address in this series are what are some things that, can, that I can do that will increase my soul activity? What are some things I can do to grow spiritually, to be discipled spiritually, to be advancing in my faith, to be advancing in my maturity in Christ as the Bible wants for us to do, as the Bible commands us to do? What do I need to be doing to be making this season a time of growth, even while I'm at home, even while I'm away from the fellowship, even while life is a little bit different? Because we need to take advantage of this. It's not always going to be this way. Um, hint, hint, someday we're going to get back into the church building together on Sunday mornings. We're going to get back, but I don't want us to fall back into old patterns that weren't healthy. And so if we can start growing now and use the extra time we have to grow now, what a great thing that would be. And I, I believe that pleases the Lord, and that is exactly what he wants from us, and that's where we're going to be this morning. Now, one thing, if you don't know this about me, um, I really enjoy coaching. I've enjoyed uh, coaching pretty much uh, since I got out of high school. And uh, because I have three daughters, I coached a lot of girls' sports. But when I was in Colorado at my second youth ministry, I actually had the opportunity to coach high school football. I got to coach uh, running backs and linebackers. And, I, you know, I had zero experience coaching football. I had not played football since freshman year of high school. And, uh, man, I, I, was, I remember kind of being overwhelmed. But as the coach, just the coach within me, I was just, I, my goal for everything that I coach, whether it's basketball or volleyball or even football back then, was I just want my kids to get better. That was my goal. And so uh, we were not, we were a very small 2A school in Colorado, never a powerhouse. Had a few athletes um, that could maybe take us somewhere, but they hadn't made the playoffs in forever. And there was just a, you know, it was just one of those programs that was like, it's not really a program. But I, I got to coach that year, and I remember my goal was to get those running backs and those linebackers better. And I remember uh, one of my thoughts was if I could just get them to not turn over the ball. You know, as running backs, that's just a big game changer. It's a big momentum change if I could just get them to hang on to the ball. So I remember back then was before YouTube was even a, a thing. I mean, it wasn't even invented yet. Um, I remember uh, the Internet at that time being text, where it was all just writing and reading. You, you didn't watch videos. There's no media. There's no interaction there, which I know for some of you uh, younger ones, that might be really weird. But that's what the Internet was, was you get online to read. So I remember reading about football drills that would help 
uh, running backs not fumble the ball. And that was my goal. And so I remember I had this kid, uh, his name was, his last name was Ridgeway. And I remember my goal was Ridgeway, you know, the head coach that said Ridgeway is going to be our starting running back. And so I remember my goal the whole time was like, I'm going to make Ridgeway the best running back I possibly can. And how I'm going to do that is I'm going to make sure this kid never fumbles the football. And so we did lots of drills. We did lots of things with that. And it was just, it was just amazing because we actually went through a whole entire high school football season and and Ridgeway only fumbled once and when he did fumble once he actually did not lose the possession so he fumbled it and he got on top of it one time what was amazing about that is we actually made it to the quarterfinals in the playoffs that year something that football program had never done and uh, it was just a, it was just an amazing thing and me as a coach I felt so satisfied with the fact that that I saw progression I saw my running backs and my linebackers for tackling I saw them progress every week that they started out you know maybe kind of raw not doing as well but then they got better and better and better and better and that is how I feel about being a pastor sometimes is I feel like I'm a spiritual coach and that I want my people to know the Bible more to pray more to have that deep love for Jesus Christ to use their spiritual gifts and, and how they've been equipped for acts of service and love to serve God's kingdom, to win other, other people to Jesus Christ and to do the things the Bible commands of us. And so um, I'm kind of excited about that. And that's kind of my mentality here in this series called Soul Activity is that I want to see a progression in us. I want to see us develop. And that's what we're going to be talking about today is development. Now we're going to begin this morning in Acts chapter 9. So if you have a Bible, please turn to Acts chapter 9. We're going to begin there with verse 1. And if you're familiar with Acts chapter 9, then you know this is the story of the Apostle Paul coming to the Lord. He's actually doesn't he, he's not even called Paul yet. He's actually called Saul at this point. Uh, but I think it's Acts chapter 13 is the first time they refer to him as uh, the Apostle Paul. And then, of course, if you know his story, he writes most of the New Testament. Um, so we're going to begin this morning by hearing his story of conversion and be looking at what did he do early on to uh, actually grow and develop in Jesus Christ and become obviously a very, very powerful character to write, you know, half, more than half of the New, the New Testament. And so if you have Bibles there, Acts chapter 9, always remember if you will download our app and you can actually go to the sermon notes in the app, that all of the scriptures and all the, the bullet points and all of that are in the app. And you can actually take notes in there digitally and they'll save your notes. It's a really, really cool thing. So uh, don't forget to do that. You just uh, search Oakwood Enid and download the Oakwood Christian Church app. So let's begin this morning, Acts chapter 9. Beginning with verse 1, it says this. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Okay, now, let's just pause here for a second and explain what we just read, because there's a whole lot here. So this Saul, going to be later called Paul, the Apostle Paul, Saul was still breathing threats and murder against anyone who followed the way. Now, if you remember this from, from a few weeks ago, I'd mentioned that the, the movement of Jesus was called the way. 
And, and so if anyone was following the way, it says there in verse 2, men or women, he basically got marching orders from the synagogue in, in, in uh, Jerusalem to go to here to Damascus. And anybody that was professing to be a part of the way, any of the disciples and followers of Jesus, if they were found to be following the way, then he would basically bind them, he, he, he bound them up, and he would take them back to Jerusalem for persecution, get thrown in jail. Um, what does it say? He's breathing threats and even murder against the disciples of the Lord. And so uh, a little bit of background into who Saul is. He's, he's actually a Pharisee. So he's actually part of the religious sect. He's just like a, a He's, he's just like a zealot for it, you know. He is just out there trying to persecute God's church and trying to keep everything under the control of the Jews at that time. And so that's where we're at here, the first two verses. Now let's get to verse 3. It says, Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and he neither ate nor drank. Now, verse 10. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord had said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Now you have to understand what Ananias is doing here. He's like, really, Lord, you want me to go to Saul? The persecutor who's breathing threats and even murder against Christians like me? And you want me to go to this man? And this is how the Lord answers him in verse 15. It says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. I want to pause in our scripture this morning and bring a point to mind right there. And that is this that you are a chosen instrument to carry his name. You are a chosen instrument to carry his name. If you are a Christian, then you are a chosen instrument to carry the name of Jesus Christ. That's what it says about Saul here in verse 15. It says that he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name. And then God even gets more specific there. It says, before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For all of these groups, it is very important that Saul be my chosen instrument to carry your name to these people. Now, one thing that I think it's really critical for us to understand as we, um, as we serve the Lord is that when you are called into uh, the kingdom of God, when you make that decision for salvation and you say, I accept 
God's grace and forgiveness, and I, I make him a Lord and master over my life. You are also accepting a mission. And the mission is the Great Commission that we talk about so much here at Oakwood. The Great Commission is to make disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them to obey everything that God's commanded us. And so you are called into that mission, and I believe that every person that comes to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ is therefore called and chosen by God to be an instrument to take the name of Jesus and the story of Christ to other people. And if you think about this, Saul is going to be uniquely positioned for Damascus. He's uniquely positioned because he's a part of the Pharisees. He's a part of the, of the, of the synagogue in Jerusalem. He is, he is going to be specifically positioned to meet the needs and to share the story of Jesus with so many people. But he can only do so much. There's going to be others that come with him that you're going to read about in the book of Acts. There's going to be people like Silas. There's going to be people like Barnabas. Um, of course, Peter, James, John, uh, and the rest of the disciples. That Everybody kind of has their influential group. They're people that God has chosen them to be an instrument of his message of mercy to bring to those people. And you are the same. You are a chosen instrument to proclaim the name of God to people. And if you think about it, you are uniquely positioned in your profession, in your school, on your sports team, in your areas of influence. Now, I know today you're like, well, wait a second, I'm not at work, and I'm not at school, and I'm not playing soccer or baseball or football or whatever. But the fact is, is that you're still called to do the work. In fact, some of you now have more time to do that work than you've ever had before. You can just hop on a phone. You can just text someone, shoot them an email. Uh, you can video chat with them. You can do something for the Lord. And it's important for you to understand that God has called you to that. I want to share some more scripture about this with you, specifically your calling uh, to be a minister of the gospel. First Peter chapter 2 verse 5 says this, you yourselves like living stones are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is a section of scripture here in 1 Peter 2 uh, that's called the call of the priesthood of all believers. The belief that, that it's not just one priest like it was in Jesus' time that's, that's over, you know, it's the priest of the temple and the synagogue and they're the ones that, you know, are really the go-between between God and the people the scripture teaches us that after Jesus died and was resurrected, that he became our high priest. And so um, there is no more go-between. He is the go-between. He sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And we don't go through a priest to get to God now. We go directly to God in heaven. We approach the throne of grace with confidence now because of what Jesus did on the cross and through the resurrection from the tomb. And so because of that, we go to him. And, and that's what the call is here from uh, this, Peter wrote, First uh, Peter, is he's saying that we are to be to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, and that he's building us up into a holy priesthood that, that's in every member ministry in God's church, that we all have our areas that we're called to. Look just four more, just four verses later in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 9, it says, but you are a chosen race. We're the human race. We, we are the ones that resemble God, made in the likeness of God. There's no other animals or species or race upon the earth. It's just the human race. We are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood, it says there. We are a holy nation. We are a people for his own possession that you may proclaim, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness 
and into his marvelous light. You are called from darkness to light, and you're to proclaim the excellencies of grace and of love and of what God has done for us. You see, we are called as chosen instruments to carry his name to the world. Are you doing that? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, it says this, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. The fact is, as you go out through life and into the world, sometimes you're the only Jesus that some will ever see. You're the only contact they're going to have with anything called church, anything called religion, anything to do with Christianity, anything to do with Jesus Christ. It's going to be a 100% based on you. And so we are a chosen instrument, just like Saul was here, to carry the name to the world. Let's go on with our our passage this morning. So uh, going back to verse 15 there, he says, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And you, you know if you read all the accounts with the, the Apostle Paul, uh, that he did suffer much. In verse 17 it says, So Ananias departed and entered the house where, where Saul was. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. I just want us to notice something there in verse 18. It says that as soon as he regained his sight, that he arose and he was baptized. Um, he, had, he, no, he had not um, been baptized, and, and he had obviously accepted the Lord uh, through this appearance, through this uh, vision of, of Jesus on the road to Damascus, losing his sight. And so as soon as he uh, possibly could, then he, he went and, and was obedient in baptism, in Christian baptism, and to the Lord. And then taking food, he was strengthened. And then look what happens next. The second part of verse 19, it says, For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. So here we have Saul. He's got, a, he's got a pharisaical background. In fact, uh, he knows the, the, the Old Testament scriptures well. He knows the law really well. But he doesn't know much about Jesus. Remember, he just met him on the road three days ago. So after he's baptized, it says that he spent some days with the disciples. I think something that we can learn from that this morning is that you need to spend some time with some disciples. You need to also spend some time, take some time to spend it with some disciples. Disciples. Now, I know that some of you uh, might be, you know, like, how do I do that right now? Because when we had the building to come to, uh, the church building, when we had the ability uh, to, to go to Wednesday night discipleship programs for children, for youth, and for adults, when we had Sunday mornings that we could do that, then this was something that, yeah, that, that was easy to do. I could go spend, you know, some time with some disciples. But we still have time now. In fact, I think you may have more time now to do it. And you can pick up a phone and you can, you can do it on FaceTime. And, and uh, you've probably heard of this, that we've been talking about it a lot here at the church because we've been using a lot, but we've been talking a lot about Zoom. And I'm not a Zoom salesman by any means, and I'm not saying it's a perfect platform, but man, it, it's great. You know, my, my wife is a youth, a youth sponsor, and I have all three of my daughters in the youth group right now. And when they meet on Wednesday nights, they actually use a Zoom platform, and they're actually interacting there with like 50 students. 
And they get to see each other's faces and expressions, and they get to talk. And then they actually have a time. They break out from the big group of 50 to little little cluster groups. With Each one has an adult leader, and they, they kind of go through the lesson, and, and they're able to talk and open up and share. And I know in Amy's group, um, it, it was like maybe t- you know, 10, 10 girls this week that were in her group. And they just to get to share, and they get to... You know, Amy gets that opportunity to disciple these girls and to, to, speak, to speak into their life. And, um, and I know there's other youth sponsors. Melissa, I think, is in Amy's group, and uh, Melissa gets to help do that too. And, and th- there's, there's just some discipleship and some cool growth, spiritual growth that's happening there because they're making it a priority to spend some time with some disciples. And I think it would, would be advantageous for all of us to consider that in this season is to not just do it alone. I mean, reading your Bible is important. You should do that every day. Studying the Bible, not just reading a section of Scripture, but actually asking questions like, who's that? What does that mean? And doing a study into the Word of Scripture. And, and, and to, to, uh, to amp up our prayer life, to spend even more time praying to the Lord and building that relationship with Him. But beyond that, it shows us here that right at the very beginning of Saul's journey, uh, w- that he hangs out with the disciples there in Damascus. And, and he's doing that intentionally to learn, to grow, to edify, to understand accountability, to glean what a more mature Christian and someone who had been walking with Jesus longer could teach someone who is brand new out of his baptism. And I just think we need to take advantage of that during this season and during this time. And, 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 and let's not make excuses here. Let's just get involved. Let's just start doing it. There are groups meeting right now online. I know there's a men's group that meets on Wednesday nights. Um, that's still meeting online. I know that that, uh, Alan Seibel still has his group on Wednesday nights that's meeting, and they're meeting also um, on on Zoom and and doing those things and studying together. And maybe you're one of those people that you're, you're feeling like, man, yeah, I'd like to do that. In fact, I'd like to lead something. Man, please call us, email us, reach out to us, get a hold uh, of Alan and, and let him know, hey, I want to start an online group. Can you help me do it? And we can. We can help you do that. It is so vitally important that we spend time with some disciples. I just think there's so much spiritual growth there. The Scripture talks about this even beyond Acts 9 here. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11, it says this, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. How do you do that by yourself? (laughs) It doesn't say, hey, build yourself up and encourage yourself. No, it says encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. In Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, a famous scripture says, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. We are called to do this in scripture that we would spend time to sharpen each other to grow each other, to talk through. I mean, we're in an unprecedented time right now where there's so many people that are struggling. We need to encourage each other. Well, that means we've got to be in communication with each other. So don't lean into this excuse that, well, because I'm not there on Sunday mornings and because, you know, I can't shake hands in the lobby and sit with my friends and ask people face-to-face how they're doing. You can ask people face-to-face how they're doing still. Through your smartphone, through your computer, through the Zoom platform, through FaceTime. Don't let these things be a hindrance. Don't let the devil put these obstacles in your way of growth. 
Use this time to reach out to someone and to be discipled yourself. And for some of you, maybe you need to be the discipler. You need to be the one that's trying to gather people together and pour into them. Read the scriptures together. Face up to those things together. Share the word of God and make this a time of development in your faith. And so you're a chosen instrument to carry his name. You need to spend time with some disciples. Let's continue reading here in our passage. Um, go back there to the middle of 19 there. It says, for some days he was with, <clears throat> excuse me, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is the son of God. Now listen to verse 21. It says, and all who heard him were amazed and said, is, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? I mean, they had already heard what Saul was on mission to do in Damascus. He was there to disrupt things. He was there to break up any movement of the way, followers of Jesus, and he was going to take them bound back to Jerusalem. They'd heard of this, and they were amazed because now he's in the synagogues, the same synagogues he was going to drag people out of for talking about Jesus, and he's in there saying, Christ is Lord. He is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. He's proclaiming it to the people. Look at verse 22. It says, But Saul increased all the more in strength. And what it's talking about there, it wasn't like he was working out at the gym. It's talking about his spiritual strength. He continued to grow in his knowledge of, this, of the word and the understanding of the Bible and the prophecies and, and what Jesus had fulfilled. He continued learning from the disciples who Jesus was, what grace was about, what the sacrifice and resurrection uh, of Jesus from the dead, what that was all about. And it says, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus. He just confounded them. Because they're like, what is the deal? This guy was a murderer. This guy was breathing threats. All he wanted to do was kill this movement and kill us. And now he's proclaiming the same Jesus that he doesn't want us to talk about. He's saying his name in the synagogues. He's, he's going around being an advocate for him. He is now acting more like a disciple. And it confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus. And listen to this. By proving that Jesus was the Christ. How did Saul do it? How did he share that testimony? You see, you can testify through a changed life. You testify. Testify through a changed life. That's what it's talking about here at the end of verse 22. By proving that Jesus was the Christ, was a man who was a murderer and a slanderer and one that was stirring up trouble against God's church, that he would actually turn himself around and turn his life around and acknowledge that Jesus was the Christ. And it turned the world literally at that time in, in Damascus upside down because they knew a man's reputation and saw what Christ had done to change his life. The cool thing is there are so many of you that that is your story. That if I had known you well before you had called upon the name of Christ or someone else had, if they knew your BC story, your before Christ story, yeah, that was something that, you know, probably really embarrassed about and very maybe even ashamed of. But isn't it amazing the turnaround since you have come to Jesus Christ? It's amazing because you're living it out and there might be people looking at your walk with Jesus Christ right now. And it's such a drastic change from where it used to be before that they can say things like that you are proving that Jesus was the Christ. Because they knew he couldn't change that on his own. 
I mean, there's no way that she could, could change her attitude, her outlook on life, uh, just everything going, going on. There's no way. They were such a, a, a dirty, rotten person, and, and let alone just like, you know, a chief sinner. And yet, look at them today, washed white as snow, walking in purity and righteousness, and reflecting Christ's love to everyone by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Testify through the power of a changed life. That is your soul activity. And I want you to notice that as you read the rest of the scriptures and you read the rest of the book of Acts and you go through the New Testament, you actually see this man, the Apostle Paul, as he'll be called just a few chapters later and throughout the rest of the New Testament, he's called Paul instead of Saul. The Apostle Paul continues the journey. He continues the journey. And that's what I want to challenge you to do today. You know, sometimes I think we can come to a time where we listen to a message like this, and we're like, oh, that's a good message. Oh, you know, that was great. You know, Acts chapter 9, and, you know, Saul's conversion experience. And yeah, I've got three little nuggets there that I can, you know, that I, I can hear, and I can say, oh, that's great. And I might, even, I might even pray about that. You know, that'd be great. I'll just pray, say a prayer, God help me in that area to grow. No, I'm, I'm talking action steps here, people. I'm talking let's actually do something. Well, let's not be like the warning of James 22 where it says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. I would like for you today to pick an action step, to decide, you know what? I'm going to testify to Jesus Christ by living a righteous life and by, by following him. And that means that I'm going to have to really make some efforts that me and Jesus, I'm going to have to allow him to whip me into shape. For some of you, you, you need to actually reach out to a group of disciples you need to get in some kind of discipleship group. I, I like calling them D groups, okay? Get in a D group. Get in a discipleship group. Get some other guys. Get some other ladies together. Maybe, maybe uh, get, get some married couples together. And just decide, you know what? We're going to read some passages from 1 Peter and, or, or the book of James or, or really any of the Bible. We're just going to read a couple chapters here. We're going to get online and we're going to talk about it. And, and we're going to challenge each other to apply the Scripture to our lives. Not to just really me, be merely hearers of the Word, but doers as well. I want you to make a decision this morning that this is going to be a time of development. That this is going to be a time where you actually grow in Jesus Christ. The fact is, you know, we don't know exactly when we're coming back to church. And we really don't know what that looks like. We don't know that maybe they're going to lift the restriction and maybe not extend it past April 30th and maybe to May 1st or maybe even beyond that. I mean, we don't really know. And we don't even know what that looks like. We don't know if they're going to say, okay, now you can have gatherings of 20. Well, for our church, it's like we're going to have to have like 100 services to accommodate everybody. You know, uh, we don't know if it's going to be groups of 50. We don't, we don't know what that looks like exactly, but I don't want that to be an excuse for a time of stagnation because Jesus is alive, God is still on the throne, and this needs to be a time of growth for God's church. And one of those things I left out was that you need to not only do that, you need to understand that you are an instrument to carry his name to other people. And you may have some unique opportunities to do that right now. While work is slow, grab a cup of coffee, Stay six feet apart, but grab a cup of coffee, go into somebody's office, and, and share Christ with them. Find out where they're at spiritually. Find out where they're at in their marriage. Find out where they're at with, with being a parent or their, or their kids or what they're struggling. Say, what is the thing you struggle with most in life? And share Christ. Give them some tangible answers. Do something, but I want you to take an action step today. So let's pray together, and I want you to be thinking, what is the action step? What is Jesus calling me to today to actually do something different this week that will spark development 
in my Christian walk. Let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the challenge uh, of it. I, I God, I thank you for stories uh, like Saul. Uh, stories in the scripture uh, that, that just show us and, and tell us about your great power and might to change a life. And God, it's awesome to read in just one chapter in Acts because, Lord, there's a whole New Testament that speaks to the testimony of this man that we're going to later call Paul. Lord, there's so much of the New Testament that just speaks to his walk with you and his, his gratitude for you, his his. Um, energy, uh, the, the fact that he was just so dedicated and 100% sold out to you, that he served you everywhere he went. And even though he was a baby Christian, he was only baptized a few days ago, he spent si- some time with some disciples, he was growing in his knowledge and understanding of Jesus Christ, who he was, what he had done in his, in his life, and as he matured, he went right into the synagogues and started testifying to the truth about Jesus and that people were shocked, people were amazed because they saw the power of the changed life in him. And for some of us, Lord, that's our next step. That's our next step is we're going to get serious about being a disciple. We're going to get serious about following you. And we're going to read our Bible and we're going to pray. And God, you are going to be uh, like, like the, the great uh, chisel in our lives, just, just, just taking off pieces and parts of darkness and sinfulness and things in our life that have affected us for so long, God. And I just pray, God, that you would just do that redemptive work in our hearts. God, for some of us, we're, we're, gonna, we're not going to make excuses about technology. Maybe we don't love it or embrace it, but God, we're not going to make an excuse anymore. We're going to get online. We're going to get on FaceTime. We're going to get on Zoom. We're going to do something. We're going to get together um, virtually with some other Christians, or we're going to use this as an opportunity for growth. And God, I pray if anyone sitting here this morning is like, oh, I don't know how. Lord, they call the church office. We will, we will get them exact instructions on how. Lord, I just pray nothing would hinder the opportunity to develop in our spiritual walk. Lord, for some of us, we just need to proclaim the truth that we have walked away from you and that we need to repent and turn back to you and get back to doing some of the things that we were doing at the beginning of our journey when we were on fire for you. Um, God, for, for some of us, maybe we've never called upon your name. And right now, this morning, Lord, we need to say, I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and, and Savior. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I accept him now as my personal Lord and Savior. Lord, for some of us, we just need to make that decision this morning. Lord, for some of us, we, we may need to, to make that decision to get baptized. We've, we've never done that, or we've been putting it off, Lord. Uh, God, there's just so many things that you've called us to do. I just pray, God, that we all of us as your church and as your followers and as your children would choose one next step to develop our spiritual life in you to increase our soul activity. And God, we know we need your power, so give us the strength to do it. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.